if I ever got to an internet cafe, I'd download podcasts because that was media that I loved. And I'd go and download all these episodes. And that was kind of where it started clicking with me, the connection you could still feel with a podcast audience or with a podcast host, the audience could build with them if you were listening. And it really was a deep sense of like connection back to the States as I listened to different shows. And then when an opportunity came up for a podcasting company, you know, that was when I went, oh, this is something that would be really interesting. Podcast Junkies, episode 264. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. New listeners, it's the show where we search out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows, their companies, whatever else is in their mind. Last week, we spoke to podcast OG Evo Terra, host of Podcast Pontifications. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite, and the link will be in the show notes as well. And this week, another podcasting OG, Alban Brook, head of marketing at Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a podcast hosting platform that features user-friendly software for hosting, promoting, and tracking the shows that they host. And in this episode, we discussed not only Alban's podcast origin story, but the importance of a podcast value proposition and the growth trajectory for podcasting. We share a deep discussion on what other technology companies like Google, Spotify, and Facebook are doing in this space, and the incredible results Alban has achieved through Buzzsprout. Alban shares his ideas on content creation and why he believes that in the end, these creators will prevail. Fun, fun conversation, podcasting, shop, talk with uh, someone that I've been running into conferences for many years. I'm so glad we've had a final opportunity, and I'm so glad we had an opportunity to finally chat on the show. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 264. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. Looking for new ones to read out in this intro episode. Don't forget, if you are learning a bit about what's happening in the crypto space or the space where creators are being compensated in Bitcoin, then check out and test out some of the new apps at newpodcastapps.com. It's definitely bleeding-edge stuff, but uh, interesting to see what's happening there. I'm learning a lot from listening to the Podcasting 2.0 podcast and supporting the work that the team is doing at podcastindex.org. Okay, make sure you stay tuned in the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag, but let's jump into this conversation with Albin. Albin Brook, Head of Marketing at Buzzsprout. Thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you, Harry. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah, it's one of those folks that run into each other in the same conference space for many years. We did have a chat once. I think it was the might have been Podfest. It might have been the last conference that I was at. <laughs> yeah, we. I feel like when you're in like adjacent circles, you know, we're like a lot of we have a lot of mutual friends. And I think at some point I was like, "Hey, you're Harry Durant, right? Like you do podcast junkies?" Like, yeah. And I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> we walk by each other in the hall all the time. We have to chat at some point." Uh, yeah, and I'm probably, I was probably wearing the shirt, so I'm like, what gave it away? <laughs> <laughs> and I think what I have saved in money is uh, T-shirts. 
because I don't have to buy them for the conferences in the short term. So <laughs> I haven't figured out a way to, to make that into a, a Shopify store online. I, I probably am leaving a lot of money on the table. <laughs> we need a Podcast Junkies t-shirt company. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So what's it been like for you, you know, as someone who's actively out there spreading the, the word about Buzzsprout in the podcasting community? What's your experience like been the, the past year and a half? And I know everybody was jumping into the virtuals for a while and then they got burned out. So I'm just a quick check in to see how that's been for you. Yeah. So I've been in, you know, doing the podcast thing since 2014 uh, with Buzzsprout and you know, probably the high point for me is always going and meeting people and talking face to face. You know, that's my favorite part of podcasting is you get to talk behind the mic. And then when you get to meet people face to face, it's just a totally new experience and it's a ton of fun. And so the last year of, you know, kind of living this quarantine life or at least separated from a lot of people, missing out quite a bit, definitely excited to get back and meet everybody and see everyone face to face again. From a business perspective, it did exceptionally well. I think a lot of people finally who were really thinking about podcasting when they found themselves stuck at home for a few months went, Hey, this is the opportunity to really lean in and, you know, start putting some content outline. So we had tons of opportunities to help new podcasters get their shows started and, for years of creating content around teaching people to podcast, it all started becoming exceptionally valuable. And so, yeah, we've had a great uh, last year and a half and, you know, just excited to see how it can progresses. So I, I would imagine there's very few folks that are listening now that have not heard of Buzzsprout. So, but um, for people that uh, may have just heard of the name and are not familiar with the company, can you give the origin story? Sure. We have this website builder that goes back to the late 90s. And just based on who we knew and our contacts, I think it ended up being a website builder for churches and nonprofits and NGOs. And about 2006, a lot of them were saying, hey, we just did a talk and, you know, we got the audio from it because there wasn't a lot of video online then. And they're like, is there a way for us to get this audio online? Or maybe we recorded a church sermon. How do we get that online? And we started digging around. We're like, really what you want? is a podcast, this thing that in 2006 was relatively new. And we're like, hey, I think uh, we can help you out. And we started by writing a lot of tutorials for our customer base, which was relatively unsophisticated on how to use some of the existing platforms. In running into roadblocks, we are web, you know, we're product designers and we build web applications. We said, you know, maybe we should build out our own products. So 2008, we start building Buzzsprout, and 2009, launch it to the world and started on our podcasting journey. And who were the founders at the time? Tom Rossi and Kevin Finn, both still in, you know, very much involved day-to-day with Buzzsprout. I think I was the fifth employee in 2014. So that gives you an idea of how fast we grew, which was not super fast. We were very comfortable with all, you know, we had quite a few different applications we were building at the time and a small team. So we were perfectly happy, you know, kind of doing this slow growth over time. And uh, I think there was like kind of this inflection point in 2014 at the first podcast movement. A couple of the guys went and they met exactly one bus route customer. <laughs> and they also got a lot more exposure to a lot of our competition, which was more technically focused. 
where we were much more focused on helping people who are not technical get online. And it helped clarify a lot of things for us. We have, hey, this position that we have in the market is unique. And uh, we are definitely not reaching the breadth of the market as it is if we only have one customer out of the entire conference. So we continued to, that was when we really decided we needed to bring on a marketing team. And that was when I was trying to find a way out of the practice of law and into tech. So that's how we everything kind of fell together. Talk a little bit about that that meeting. I mean, was it just a posting that they had and you applied for it? Had you heard about podcasting? Like, where were you in your podcasting journey at that time? <laughs> so my podcasting journey is being a consumer long before Buzzsprout. So I don't know, probably 2004, 2006 was probably the first time I started listening to shows. After college, I taught English overseas and we didn't really have a internet connection. I didn't have electricity most of the time. So if I ever got to an internet cafe, I'd download podcasts because that was media that I loved. And I'd go and download all these episodes. And that was kind of where it started clicking with me, the connection you could still feel with a podcast audience. If, or with a podcast host, the audience could build with them if you were listening. And it really was a deep sense of like connection back to the States as I listened to different shows. And then when an opportunity came up for a podcasting company and a lot of the, you know, that was when I went, oh, this is something that would be really interesting. So one of my good friends at the time was one of the programmers and still is one of the programmers at Buzzsprout. And I was like, hey man, if you ever get me an interview there, I would leave law for it. I would do anything. I'd love to work there. And one day he goes, hey man, if you want to come in and interview, we've got a slot for you to come have lunch with everybody. And yeah, that was how I had my, got my foot in the door. But until that point, I don't think they'd ever posted a job offer or really talked to anybody about the position. So I'm curious how someone with studies in law, religious studies and psychology ends up at the marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had done a lot of different jobs. I'd worked at you know, bookstore, I'd taught school, I'd been a paralegal and then an attorney. And I knew very much I did not want to be an attorney long-term. There's a lot in that lifestyle that was very clear, wasn't what I wanted to do. I saw a lot of the people who are 10 years my senior making good money, what they're spending on BMWs and country club memberships and were working 12-hour days right alongside of me. So, you know, if there had been this like, hey, for three years you put in your time and someday you won't work these hours, I might have been enticed to stay. Uh, but seeing that everybody who was 10 years ahead of me was working just as hard, if not harder, uh, really helped me clarify that it wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. And I started looking around at different industries that I was excited about, and I knew I wanted to be in tech. I wanted to be involved with software in some aspect and personally was just writing online was something that I wanted to be doing. And then when the podcasting opportunity kind of surfaced, I definitely gravitated to that because this is 2014. You know, I remember when, you know, reaching out to them when iOS 8, I think it was, made the Apple podcast app the def a default app. And I was, was like, this big is deal. big. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're product's going to blow up. And they're like, well, yeah. Do you want to work on it at all? <laughs> and 
And so it was very much just what can you learn? How can you grow into this role? And so it was entirely self-taught marketing and learning about podcasting along the way. What were those early days, months like for you? Because it's it's completely different than what you've been working on at this time. So you're in an industry that you're passionate about, but also you know marketing and starting up a marketing department for a a company that's looking to make it a, a splash in the world of podcasting. Those are tall orders. And so I'm just curious about your mindset and how you think about tackling a problem like that. So I definitely simplify the story to make it not sound as drastic, but my first job at Buzzsprout was running the support. So it was answering just support emails for all of our apps. And then I knew the goal was to be doing the marketing full-time. And they said, yeah, if we can see like something happens with marketing, then that could become the full-time role. I think we'd, you know, our team had been burned in the past by people who come in and say, oh man, I've got these like these magic beans. And if you buy this marketing course and you do this thing and you put out 40 tweets and you do this, all of a sudden your customer base blows up. And being good entrepreneurs, they'd say, great, well, you sound super confident. What if we just pay you for every lead you get us? And people would go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you pay me up front and I guarantee it's your, I mean, it's not a guarantee, but you're definitely going to see all these results. And so they're That's like- funny. Okay. They, so they kept getting burned by people who made these grandiose promises. And mine was much more of a, hey, we need somebody to answer all the emails. And you seem like you want to do this marketing stuff. If you can prove it, that can be your job down the line. So I think it took, you know, the first you know, point that we saw something change was, I think there was a, you know, we had a few customers write in and say, I'm really confused with this creating artwork for my podcast. And so I sat down and over the course of a day or two, wrote a blog post about everything you should know about podcast artwork, trying to pull it all together. And we didn't have really a blog, so I had to code it in HTML and put it up on the site. And then a few months later, I looked and I was like, you know, this page is getting thousands of reads a month. And then there was another post that we had that was getting thousands. And that was how I discovered SEO. <laughs> and I was like, oh, into it. <laughs> Google will happily recommend it if you can write the very best piece of content on the web. And that was such a exciting moment for me because I much preferred spending a week putting a ton of work into a piece of content and trying to make it the best thing on the web. I was not interested in creating a bunch of ephemeral content that you put out once and it might disappear in a few weeks. And so we really started leaning into content marketing and creating blog posts for our customers. So that was our first foray into, you know, kind of getting some new customers. We saw, you know, a bit of growth. Then we probably saw a big uptick when Spotify launched their podcast directory. I know there was a period where we outranked Spotify for how to get a podcast on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and we put in the work to make sure our site was going to rank well for different topics. And so we were able to very quickly start ranking at Google for how to get a podcast into Spotify. And that led to a lot of new customers. And so just over the years, growing out that blog content, and which 
now has turned into multiple YouTube videos a week, multiple podcast episodes a week, multiple blogs a week, an email newsletter that goes out to over 300,000 podcasters every week, just lots of different, you know, just creating tons of media and content for the marketing industry to try to help people create their podcast, whether you be on Buzzsprout, Libsyn, Captivate, or somewhere else. Yeah, I think what's interesting for people that are new to the space is the overwhelming array of options available when it comes to hosting, and then they don't know where to go. And then they, so they go to the conferences, and it gets narrowed down a little bit there. But it is, you know, it's, it's Libsyn, it's Simplecast, it's Buzzsprout, it's Podbean, it's uh, Blueberry. <laughs> and <laughs> I think those are the major ones that, <laughs> unless I'm missing other folks out. I think there's one or two more that are usually there. Yeah. Dozens of good options. Yeah, I see it very much as this is a space that, you know, you can either have this growth mindset, you can have a fixed mindset. Your fixed is how do I get a customer to leave one of my competitors and move to us? And the other is, which is just difficult. You're trying to convince someone to upend their life so that you get a new customer. Well, I know what it's in it for the company, but what's in it for me, the podcaster? Why am I, how are you convincing me to move? Especially the loss of your stats and the fact that there's no universal acceptable way for people to like transfer those because that becomes like, you know, the, the sticking point, especially if you've got a show and you've grown and, and you've had, you start getting to the hundreds of thousands of millions of downloads. It's nice to see that growth from day zero to now. And you'll have to like basically restart that <laughs> if you yeah, were absolutely to a new host. We, and so all of our marketing has, we've, I think our first feature we ever launched was a podcast importer so people could move. And we recently made it so you could import your stats. But almost everything we've ever done is we want to make it easier for people who are starting because the bet we were putting on podcasting was that it was going to grow. And so doing That's that smart. in 2014 turned out to be the correct bet. But it wasn't going to come at the cost of seeing, hey, can we convince two people on Libsyn to leave to come to us? Sure. It was going to have to be through convincing you know, 2,000 people who were about to start that we could help them be successful with their podcast. That's so smart. And uh, a couple things come to mind. Have you seen the James Cridland's Pod News transfer of uh, host yes. to host? That's always fascinating because he just comes up with the, the most interesting stats. And then do you publicly share the percentage of people that come to you from other hosts as opposed to people that are just starting new? I don't know the actual number offhand. I know that the amount of people that switch is a lot higher than the number that James posts on Pod News because he's only tracking a – he's not trying to track all 2 million plus podcasts. He's tracking a subset. So I know that the numbers we show are quite a bit higher, though obviously okay. we only see the ones that move between Buzzsprout either to or away. I think it's still a very small percentage of people that ever move because, and mostly that is a lot of shows. My personal opinion is if you podcast for a year and then you realize it's not for you, then mainly the thing you're looking for is a place to park the episodes so they don't disappear. And that's when it becomes really enticing to either move on to Buzzsprout has like a $5 plan that you can just keep your podcast live. But for some people, even $5 is more than they want to spend. They don't know if they're ever coming back. So they transfer over to Anchor and they kind of park the episode there until someday in the future if they decide to podcast again. 
And so I think that's quite a bit of what's happening. Then you get people who are moving because one or another feature that's launched is you know pretty exciting for them. So you know we recently launched dynamic content where you could drop a new pre-roll or post-roll audio to every one of your episodes. And so we saw people who that was a feature they'd been waiting for for a long time, especially a feature they wanted but also didn't want to pay premium money for. Sure. And so that was definitely offered by other hosts before us, but we made it available so that you could have it for free or at least with any plan. So we saw people move over for that. That's a big one because I think, um, to your point, everyone that I've seen talk about it, I mean, I've, I've had a, a megaphone, for example, planned for years, but we just use it with, with just one other client who's got a network, but it's just so cumbersome. I don't know if the, what's the word, but it's just overwhelming to go in there and just figure out all those pieces out. And then I know that Simplecast and Captivate's been teasing it out. And But to your point, there are like higher premium offers. So the fact that you're offering it for people who can come in at the lowest tier, I think it, that is pretty important because it's something that I think people should be thinking about from day one. We do it with our clients. They're, they're primarily business owners. So I tell them from day one, like, treat your business as the sponsor from day one, <laughs> you know, do that ad read for your own stuff and then get listeners into the habit of, of hearing that there's a spot there. Cause then it, it puts, you know, the bug in their mind. That's like, Oh, there's an ad spot there. And, and maybe there's something that I have, or I'm a business owner and I want to advertise on there. So I'm wondering it might be early days, but what you're seeing in terms of how people adopting it, using it or feedback you've gotten. Well, our whole mentality has always been, we want to empower creators to be successful on their own. And so we have not done anything around sourcing ads for people to put into their podcasts beyond creating like an integration with the podcorn or something like that. The way that we've promoted dynamic content has been, you know, I I spoke at Hindenburg's conference yesterday, and maybe I'd want to put on my podcast episodes, maybe three or four days beforehand, hey, I'm speaking at this conference. I would love it if you would join me. And then I could, you know, then we'd have a bunch of people who might show up and listen. And what's nice is you put that on every episode. So it goes into the back catalog, which across Buzzsprout shows, it's about 20% of plays are to the back catalog. It's not the most recent few episodes. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a nice way for you to give timely updates about your podcast. Then anybody who does specific sponsors, sponsorships with a company themselves, like you were talking about, actually working with a local business owner, or maybe it would be, you know, something that's just your own product for all the podcasts we produce internally. Buzzsprout is the host, but it is also the content creator and the sponsor (laughs) because we want to, uh, you know, you're, you're just creating content for yourself. So that's how I'm seeing people use dynamic content is to give timely updates and there will be, you know, still more to come on the dynamic content side. We recently put out the ability that you could associate some text with each piece of audio content so that you could actually drop this text into every description. So we call that dynamic descriptions. And the value there is if I was to say, hey, come listen to me at this conference. Well, I want to make sure that there's a link to that conference on every one of the episodes where I said that. And so drop it into my podcast descriptions. But there's definitely more that we can do around 
you know, tons of different features to make dynamic content more accessible and more powerful for podcasters. Have you been following some of the work that uh, Brian Barletta is doing with uh, Sounds Profitable? He he yeah. pretty much pushes the limit on what's possible with Vast and like inserting like feeds from like Pod News and Evoterra. And I think at some point he's mentioned he's got probably seven or eight dynamic insertions happening <laughs> within an episode. Yeah, I love Brian. He's always he. I recently talked to him and I was like, Brian, I need to like, I don't know, start talking to you more because there's, he opens up so many areas that I'm like, oh, I'm just ignorant of this. I don't understand exactly how some of this ad tech works because we've been mostly focused on the creator side rather than the advertiser side. And he totally gets every piece of the advertising stack and how all of that is working. One of the other podcasts is kind of in that vein that I love is James Cridland's Pod Clock. I haven't started listening to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so goofy. It's a, I mean, it's what he uses to test different directories and find stuff, but it's using, I think it's using some ad tech to figure out what minute you requested the podcast. And then it builds you an audio and it says the time that you downloaded this episode was 3.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> wow. That's all the content it is. It's just telling you what time it is. Reminiscent of when we used to call a phone number to find out what time it was because we didn't funny. have the internet. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Are you? Do you guys support Vast? Without getting too geeky, it's one of those tags that allow you to dynamically insert like snippets from other people's podcasts. Yeah. So we don't do anything around dynamic or programmatic ads. And so Vast was built to aid people who are doing dynamic ads where they could drop some ads into a podcast. So we don't do anything around dynamic ads. And I don't see us doing that supporting Vast anytime soon. I am interested, though, to keep watching how the space progresses, especially as we see things like, especially Facebook, getting more interested in the podcasting space. Facebook is the first or second largest advertiser on the web right there with Google. And the minute that Facebook and Google start getting a significant amount of plays through their platforms for podcasts, I think we're going to see a lot of new ad tech come into the industry. You mentioned Spotify earlier, and I know that Facebook was partnering with Spotify to allow the embedded player. I tried it a couple times, and I don't know if I'm grabbing the right URL, but have you had luck with the Spotify player playing in a Facebook post? So I've got a few theories on what is happening here. Facebook quickly announced all at once about 12 new ideas that they had around audio. They sounded like they're going to build a Clubhouse clone. They're going to build a Anchor clone. They were going to create an Alphonic clone. And they were going to have podcasts in the app. And so they have all these cool ideas. And they announced it right before Apple started announcing a bunch of their updates. So I thought it was a bit of Spotify and Apple are pushing the industry forward with some new announcements. And Facebook goes, well, (laughs) we see this social audio thing's a thing. Our shareholders better know we are going to be involved as well. And that was when Facebook kind of put all this together. My guess for what is happening with Spotify is they have a music integration with Spotify, where if you share a Spotify link, it gets music. And then I think the CEO of Spotify or somebody at Spotify said, and this will work for podcasts. And Mark Zuckerberg said almost at the exact same time, it's not going to work for podcasts. And it does work some. 
And so I think the plan is, if you want to drop a podcast link into Facebook for a bit, it will pull up a nice little player, similar to what they used to allow anybody, including Buzzsprout, to do years ago, where it would pull up a nice player inside the feed and you could play it. The downside is this isn't really how people listen to podcasts, right? A podcast is, I'm about to go for a 40-minute run. I want to listen to a good show. Hey, here's an episode of Podcast Junkies, and I can put it on while I run. And that's how we get these incredible 90% listen rates on our podcasts. The totally opposite end of the spectrum is the Facebook newsfeed, which is, I have no idea what I want to see. I'm just bored for two minutes while I wait in line. Hey, Facebook, will you entertain me? And Facebook says, hey, here's a picture of your new niece, and here's a political argument with your uncle you can get involved in. (laughs) And like... They just have everything there. And so listening to like a long form podcast, it's not the right medium for that little slot of time. And what I think the ultimate goal for Facebook will be actually trying to create a audio experience inside of Facebook, maybe almost making Facebook a podcast app player. And then you'll have a way that you can say, just like now you can go to their video tab, you could pull up the audio tab and say, hey, I'll play me this podcast, let, let me play Podcast Junkies, yeah. and then turn off the screen and listen to it while I do something else. Yeah, it's that ability to sort of like, uh, if you're on mobile, you swipe down the video and it's, it's, it's anchored in the bottom right, and then you can keep scrolling. So that may be an option. And I think discoverability obviously is helpful. So, and I think it helps creators think about how to create content for the platform, because I mean, that's one of the reasons we do audiograms for clients, because we get 90 seconds of like a snippet of audio we can drop into Twitter, we can drop into Instagram. And so when we think about that from Facebook's perspective, I think in the short term, the audiograms help, but like something that gets them to the content um, is helpful. But I don't, I don't know if you've seen something that works better that's platform specific. Well, there's lots of things you can do for to make audiograms work better. You know, just some best practices. If you're going to share an image of your guest, this is a something that Kate Casey, who does the reality life with Kate Casey, taught me. She goes, the question to ask is, what is your favorite photo of yourself? And I was like, why are you saying that? She goes, because most people will not share an an audiogram, no matter how good it sounds, if it's a photo that they don't like. And everybody's got photos of themselves that float around online that are kind of like the canonical image for you. And you don't like them a whole lot because it was taken eight years ago and it's not what you look like anymore. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> kind of should be self-explanatory, but smart. You need to make sure you get an image of your guest that they really enjoy. Then just making sure the branding is right, that the dimensions of that audiogram are actually formatted for the media that you're sharing it. So you use a different orientation if you're on Twitter or an Instagram in the grid, or if it's like an Instagram story, all these places have different, you know, aspect ratios that you want to follow. And then, like you said, you know, 90 seconds is kind of the upper limit. No one's listening to (laughs) your entire podcast in the newsfeed. What you need to do is tease, you know, like a trailer is for a movie. Hey, I've got some really good content on this podcast and you probably want to go listen to it. And Make sure people know what the podcast name is because they probably won't click through the link to their favorite player. They might pull it up and search for it themselves. So 
make sure that you make it very clear what the podcast name and title is so they can find it. On the graphics itself. Yeah, on the graphic okay. itself. So, you know, we always put, we have a way inside of Buzzsprout that you can create these audiograms. We call it the visual soundbite. And we use the colors from your podcast and your podcast artwork as the default template for those because mm, we want to make yeah. it very clear, hey, here's what the podcast will look like when you find it in your player. And if you want to go all the way and customize it, you know, something like Headliner or Wave really allow a ton of customization. But if you're going to go fully customized, remember, we're trying to keep this on brand so that people find our podcast pretty quickly. You know, just look at how Apple or Coke or Nike are so good at using the same symbols, same colors, same font choices, font treatments. Everything is consistent with their brand. So you know, oh, that's something, even if it's two polar bears in, you know, you know, oh, that's a Coca-Cola bottle and that's a Coca-Cola logo. And I know which company this is. Are you integrated with Headliner? Because I know they've been working with a lot of the hosting companies as well. The way that we integrate with Headliner is they now support the visual soundbite tag or the soundbite tag oh, okay. with right. Podcast Index put together. So we've been working closely with Podcast Index to support all of the tags they have. And then if you specify that inside of Buzzsprout, then Headliner will pick those up. So when you head over to Headliner, instantly all those uh, segments are picked out for you. And you can only do one, right? Or can you do multiple? You can only do one now. I think if we saw more people be interested in, you know, creating multiple for episodes, that could be, you know, something that I'm sure the podcast index could start, you know, figuring out how to support. You see a lot of these players right now that are trying to do lots of clips of podcasts. Sure. So I could see them making a way for people to specify, hey, this is the 30 seconds where Albert and Harry talked about vast tags. Here's the two minutes where they talked about sound bites. So you could see something like that coming in the future. So you, you teed this up wonderfully for me because I've been listening to podcast 2.0, podcasting 2.0 since the beginning. I just found them and it's, I think I understand probably 70 or 80% of <laughs> the tech of it, but it's just fascinating. And I did set my podcast up on the blockchain or on the value, whatever the, value <laughs> whatever it is, value. the value for value. So I, I am able to actually get Satoshis. And I think there's a long road ahead and not to lose too many people with this, with this conversation, but Satoshi is a, a percentage of a Bitcoin. I think if they keep talking about sats and Satoshis, that I think that's where they lose people. If they could at least convert them to pennies, it would be nice because <laughs> people could understand, oh, I'm giving five pennies to this show. Like that's something to try to get more people on board. But how did you come across like that group? And I, I have noticed that Every time they mention something, they're like, yeah, Buzzsprout, like you and Captivate and, and I, I don't know, oh, RSS.com team, because I've spoken to those guys previously before, but you guys are always like, want to make sure that you're supporting it. And, and I think that's really valuable because some of these tags like transcription are adding value and helps podcasters and creators think about, you know, what their feed should be looking like. And to the extent that you're making it easier, I think it's more enticing for people who know about that stuff to want to work with Buzzsprout as their host. So this, we may not have talked about this ever before, but yeah, since you asked it, I can answer. The way we found Podcasting Index was maybe four years ago, Kevin starts drawing up this idea. Kevin, one of the co-founders of Buzzsprout saying, hey, what if there was, I think his words were like the AWS of podcasting, somebody who was building 
a better way to inform the directories and the apps that there's new episodes? What if there was somebody who was actually platform agnostic that was collecting all of the shows so we weren't all rely on Apple? What if there was somebody who was working between all the hosts and all the apps and all the listeners to create a better experience? And we said that would be great, except that we have a rapidly growing podcasting company that we're focusing on. So we don't have bandwidth to do that. But the one piece we carved out was we want to propose a tag for the industry that would be built around transcriptions. And so we began working on that and we added a tag into the Buzzsprout RSS feed. And then we started populating it with Temi and otter.ai transcripts. And then we built an integration with Descript to get their transcripts. And I think we started working at that time with Podcast Addict to get those transcripts into the app. So we'd started, we'd done all this work. We are in the final phase of writing up the press release and we open pod news and see the podcast index has, is exploring the transcript tag. And after about like a few minutes of going, oh my gosh, someone just beat us to it. We went, well, good, because the goal isn't for this to be a Buzzsprout feature. It is sure. something we believe in. And now there's a third party who's going to push it, which I think probably is going to help adoption a lot more than if only one host was pushing it. And then every other host who does it looks as if they were following on. So we quickly reached out to the podcast index and said, hey, we want to launch this. It's already launched. We want to adopt, you know, work together on this transcript tag. And pretty much from then, I think every tag we have adopted almost immediately because we really like what they're doing. If we're going to remain an open ecosystem, podcasters that are built on RSS, we do need to iterate more quickly than we have in the past. This is something that team over at Spotify will talk about or other hosts that or other places that want to become the platform for podcasting is that the RSS spec hasn't been developed for podcasting and new things that are happening in the audio space, which is true that it in the past is not iterated very quickly. And so that's what the podcast index is trying to do now is help bring multiple hosts together, multiple apps together, listeners, everybody in the ecosystem to say, does it make sense for us all to specify where the podcast is located? What if we had a location tag? Maybe we should specify where a really good 30-second clip is. We'll make that the soundbite tag. And, you know, we're all working together to try to make this a more valuable place for everybody to be involved. Yeah, it's been very obvious that Buzzsprout has been sort of at the front of that <laughs> in terms of like get excited about the, what they're doing. And I think especially with the, the this idea of the payments, I think I had to just try to figure it out for myself. And it, and it proved that it's still early days and it's still to try to convince someone else to do that. But I, I do see a place for maybe, and, and I always think about it from an agency perspective, like maybe we could set this up for shows and we could help creators get started. And what's interesting when they talk about value is the fact that you can assign a percentage of how you get paid and decide that 1% of every payment that I get, I'm going to give to my producer, or I'm going to give to my right. host, or I'm going to give to the podcast index folks for like supporting the cause. And so I, I think that's, it's exciting to see that that's happening. But I, I think um, it's really bleeding edge <laughs> right now, so which, which is, and I don't know how much of that you've been experimenting with. I think that this is something that's pretty apparent is that 
Adam Curry is kind of on the bleeding edge and maybe some of the podcast index stuff is 15 years, not too early, but 15 years before maybe the rest of us get on board with it. And while crypto is having its moment in the sun right now, it's really a lot of people are using it as a speculative asset rather than actually this real currency, even though there's a lot of people working on it. It's mostly right now people are thinking this could be the future. Let's start investing and looking at it now. Right now, does it make sense for a lot of people to be exchanging crypto from a podcast app to a podcast? No, that's not gonna that's not going to be the dominant way of monetizing a podcast anytime soon. But it is trying to solve a problem that has been plaguing media for almost all time, which is we all want media. And it is infinitely reproducible, at least in digital format, you know, that it's not degraded. So we can continue, more people can listen or watch or read each type of media. But then now how do we compensate the creators in a fair way? And the answer for a long time has been advertisements. And I think over the past really six years have been kind of a wake-up call for a lot of people in media and a lot of just maybe the general population that monetizing everything with ads is not often the healthiest thing to do. It incentivizes a little bit more shocking headlines and clickbait, and we need to write more about things that people will read. Obviously, we just had the presidency of Donald Trump, which a lot of it is like, Everybody is getting pumped up one way or another by these blog posts. So every blog post has to be sensationalized to get as many clicks. And that's not as healthy as maybe a, you know, a big newspaper doing a month-long investigative journalism write-up that actually was probably exposing something really important. And yet those are not getting as many clicks as the, you know, a little more sensationalized things. And so if you incentivize people to get as many clicks to get their advertisement dollars, that's not the healthiest way to go. So I see things like this value for value transfer. I see people doing more paying for content, Apple podcast subscriptions being a pretty obvious example there, or just supporting shows by paying for them on Patreon. I think that we really should get more of a culture around paying for the content that we really appreciate and we really value. Yeah. Because that allows us to get away from some of the kind of perverse incentives that are built around just getting as many page views as possible with sensationalized content. We can maybe get towards a healthier lifestyle where we all can see a little bit more nuance and do deeper dives into topics rather than whatever the hot button issue of the day is. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because it, it airs some of like the dirty little secrets of podcasting because people subscribe to shows, but and people get excited on publication day because they see all these, you know, downloads or streams or whatever you want the appropriate metric is. But we we know as podcasters that that's I got a ton of shows that just got downloaded to my my app this morning, <laughs> and probably more so for me because I have Overcast, I have the Podbean app, I have Apple Podcasts, so I'm probably downloading, you know, three or four from one show just to monitor them. And it may not be how I consume them. So I, I think, you know, it's almost like, I feel like there's a part of the industry that doesn't want to like, 
perfected or get it working just right because i think especially for people whose lives depend on showing bigger numbers in terms of like whatever the iab approved stat is so i think it's interesting that this idea of being directly compensated by the listener at the moment they're consuming the content is pretty valuable yeah i will be happy to be the one to demystify that right now i mean podcasts are much 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 harder to grow than any other media type that i've ever engaged with we produce content for YouTube, for social media, for our blogs, and for podcasts. And the podcasts are by far the most difficult to grow in numbers. Anybody who's telling you that you will be able to monetize day one and become Joe Rogan is, you know, they probably are selling you a podcast course. <laughs> they probably are your podcast consultant or something. Yeah, exactly. But what the flip side of that is, we do not have casual fans. Podcasts don't have fans like I'm subscribed to, you know, only YouTube knows how many YouTube channels I'm subscribed to. It's a ton. Whenever I see a good video, I'm like, yeah, I'll subscribe to that. Maybe I'll watch another one. Maybe I won't. But when I subscribe to a podcast, many of the podcasts I'm subscribed to now, I've been listening to for years and years. Some of them are hour plus episodes. And so maybe I've listened to this host interview people for you know hundreds of hours at this point we create much deeper relationships and our listen rates are much much more intense so when we can see it internally if we get four minutes of read time on a blog post i'm happy if i get two and a half three minutes of view time on a video that's probably pretty good if we get anything less than 90 percent listen rate on a podcast we think how that podcast should have been improved. What was wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. Because we're used to getting 40 minutes of a 45-minute podcast listened to. And that's the difference. So that's the disconnect. So if we think podcasting will only advance if we get these massive numbers, that's kind of a fool's errand maybe, at least right now. It's very, very hard to grow the number of people listening to your podcast initially. What's really good though is we get incredible depth of relationship, incredible intimacy with our audience. And if you're in an industry where connecting with the right 150 people is more valuable than 2 million random people on TikTok, then go for podcasting. If you really are, if you're only selling toothbrushes on Amazon and you need to get in front of millions, then something like TikTok and Amazon ads, those are going to be great because they're going to get you in front of millions and millions of people who might throw $10 your way. Podcasting is much more of a long-term investment in your audience. Is that color how you show up on social? Because I think what I've been noticing and, you know, because we're active on Twitter and I think that's the platform that I gravitate towards to sort of have, have be like my voice. And I noticed that you're active on there. Is that like a conscious decision you've made? And I know our, our mutual friend Ariel is <laughs> constantly on there as well. So is, I feel like maybe I'm on it more now, or is that something that you've been made a conscious decision to be more present in? So for a long time, I had a conscious decision not to be on social and for Buzzsprout was not really on social almost in any way, because we were always prioritizing evergreen content that would be around for years and be valuable for years over ephemeral content that may get a lot of likes and retweets right now, but it wouldn't continue long-term. Since we've gotten our newsletter has been consistent for three years every week, our blog posts, we have a new blog post every week for years, multiple videos a week. As we've gotten all that going, 
now we're starting to say, okay, is there a space for social to be a part of this? And naturally, I've gravitated much more to, hey, here are my thoughts and here's like a 20 tweet idea rather than maybe like doing a long Twitter thread versus, hey, here's my thoughts on random topic right off the top of my head. So I know I've leaned quite a bit more into things that I will actually save the URL of that thread and maybe reference it in the future some point. Have you seen that translate into just more engagement or just building more relationships online? The value of it for me is like this podcast is, you know, we, if you're only engaging with people in one media type, they only get kind of one sense of your personality. And so if they see you in highly polished video, they expect you to be like that in person. And then they're surprised to find out that you're actually a lot goofier than that. Or they only <laughs> see you on LinkedIn and yeah. they didn't even know you had a personality because you always looked very formal. And social media is my way to engage with more people in the industry, build more friendships, connections, and you know more partnerships uh, for Buzzsprout. It's much less trying to reach individual podcasters, but more keeping a pulse on the industry as a whole. Yes, it's interesting, especially with, with the with what's happening with Clubhouse. And I think that's, we actually engaged on a Clubhouse, I think, and we were having a great conversation there. And I think we just like, oh, it was like, oh, why haven't we talked? <laughs> so I think it's made up for some of the, 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 the hallway conversations that we've been missing or craving for podcasting as well from the conferences. Yeah, that's one of the thoughts I've been having about Clubhouse lately is it will go down as something that was very important during quarantine. And I think it'll also be important in helping launch a new type of medium, which is going to be this social audio medium. If I owned a significant amount of clubhouse shares internally, like the founders, I think I'd be quite a bit nervous yeah, yeah. that uh, the long-term monetization of clubhouse might be lacking. I think now when I go on, it's less of, that feel of being in the hallways of a conference and it's got more of this people trying to sell me something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, rooms. Like you said, the, the, one of the big benefits of going to a conference in real life are those hallway conversations because you've basically selected for a lot of people who are willing to put down a few thousand dollars to go to a conference between taking off work, That's true, flights, yeah. hotel, and conference price. It's not cheap to go to a big conference. And then you go and you actually are able to meet a lot of people who are pretty serious about their podcast. They really want to learn. They really want to improve and they want to engage with people. That's so valuable. Even if you don't get something out of any of the talks, because now you've made connections with people who are doing something similar to you. It would be interesting to see if somebody could translate that to the online, you know, into an online space. I'm sure that'll be hard. Uh, yeah, it'll be. Uh, yeah, all, all eyes are going to be watching what happens as that things open up and people get back to the real world. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? I mean, Clubhouse is definitely one <laughs> of them. <laughs> that qualifies. Yeah, I think that there's been. I don't know, Harry. Man, there there's a lot of things I'm trying to think about. Do you want something podcast specific? Well, we could go with the Clubhouse one. I just preempted the question, the answer with the question. So if you want to have Clubhouse be your answer there, that would work. I mean, one thing that I have changed my mind about is how I feel about a lot of big companies joining the podcasting space. That's a good one. Yeah. There's a 
there's a proverb that says when the elephants fight, the grass loses. And I often think the minute and when it finally happens, when Facebook and Google and Apple Podcasts and Spotify all get much more serious about podcasting and they start battling, will the content creators be the grass that gets trampled in the process? And over the past seven years of being involved in this space, I'm becoming more and more optimistic that we, you know, that the content creators will prevail because a lot of people have been podcasting now for 10 years or five years or two years. And if you have been, that's why all of these giant elephants are getting involved because they actually see there's something special about this medium. And if it all changes and maybe Facebook becomes the dominant player because they have so many billions of people who have a Facebook app, that will be okay, I think, because the podcasting industry as it is now, I do not think will ever completely go away, even if something like Clubhouse or Facebook finally does break through to a larger audience. There really is something special about what the podcast creators are doing with long-form content where we're engaging with ideas more deeply, that we're building a better connection with each other. And it's not just a quick ranting blog post on Facebook or something. It's a different level of communication. And especially during quarantine this last year where we saw what happened when our lives were disrupted and we couldn't see each other face to face, it was very affirming to see podcasting step into that gap quite a bit and help people reconnect. Well, I think that's a great place to put a bow on this conversation. I, I really enjoyed uh, connecting with you, Alvin, and I think it was, like I said, long overdue, considering you know you got your start around the same year I started Podcast Junkies in 2014 as well. So it's just been so fun to see like how we're all, the different journeys we're taking in the world of podcasting and then how we're all, our, our paths are crossing. So I think it's going to be fun times to watch. And it, like you said, to your point, it's really an exciting time to be in this space. Yeah, so absolutely. I want to thank you. Thanks for, for sharing a little bit of your story here. Thank you, Harry. I appreciate being on the podcast. And uh, if anybody ever wants to connect with me or ask questions about podcasting, meet me over on Twitter and uh, let me know what I can do to help. I love this industry and hope to be in it for many, many years to come. Likewise. And we'll make sure we'll have links to all the bus, bus route, the make sure you, if you haven't already, just let me know what the, the link to the podcast and the, and the blogs and then all your personal stuff. And we'll make sure all that is in the show notes as well. Sounds great. Thanks, Alvin. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Alvin, for coming on the show. Always appreciated. Full show notes at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 264. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his fantastic catalog of music. Sponsor shout outs to Focus Right. Check out their Focus Right Scarlet 2i2 Pro and their awesome line of gear, specifically that model at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focus Right. If you're interested in learning how a podcast can help you amplify your authority and expand your reach, then sign up for a pre sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat15. Tune in next week for my conversation with Scott Miller, host of Franklin Covey's On Leadership and the author of his latest book, From Marketing Mess to Brand Success. This is Scott's second time on the podcast and it doesn't disappoint his energy level is at an all-time high for this one. If you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week. If you made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Albin Buzz, A L B A N B U Z Z. Tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Albin at Albin Brook. 
B-R-O-O-K-E. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.